Hey beauties, before we dive into this episode, I just want to share that there is a meeting of the Amplify Her Networking Group next Wednesday, April 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Amplify Her Networking Group is my networking group I created to help connect women with community and to help each other make more money. It is so wonderful. The love of my life, the Amplify Her Networking Group. If you want to join next week's meeting on April 19th at 1 p.m., head to amplifyhermedia.com backslash networking and you can sign up for your first meeting for free there or you can sign up for a drop-in or membership if you've already attended a meeting. Uh, Once again, amplifyhermedia.com backslash networking to sign up for our next meeting. Can't wait to see you there. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and the Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. I am so, so happy to be back today here with you with another interview episode. Um, This episode is with Rachel Walker of the Not Tonight podcast, which is a podcast that explores sex and sex lives in long-term relationships and after marriage. Rachel is one of two hosts of this podcast and I, I adored this conversation. I know I say it every week guys, but it was just so wonderful. And this is obviously a topic that is incredibly complex, is incredibly um, complex for women in general. And I want to quickly offer a trigger warning um, in case you have some stuff that maybe you're healing from around sex and your relationship with your sexuality. I also want to offer a trigger warning on talking about sex and religion and a religious upbringing because we talk about that. So I want to obviously give you space to, um, yeah, you, you know yourself and I want to give you space to be able to step away if you need to. I hope that you stay if you, if you are able, um, and listen to this conversation with Rachel. So the Not Tonight podcast is all about sex, like I mentioned, but beautiful stories from women, Um, sharing their voices and their stories about their relationship with their sexuality, with their relationship with sex in general, and um, what that means from different perspectives. And in particular, if you're having sex in a long-term relationship or after marriage, um, what that might look like for people. In this episode in particular, we explore Rachel's relationship with sex and her background. Um, I am really so excited to jump into this episode, so I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to I'm going to have us transition into our chat with our chat, my chat, your chat. No, 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 
<laughs> I'm going to transition into this chat with Rachel. I hope you enjoy and I hope you go listen to her show, The Not Tonight Podcast. I will link it in the show notes. And once again, if you want to join the next Amplify Her Networking group on Wednesday, April 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, join. I'd love to have you. All right, let's jump into this beautiful conversation with Rachel. Rachel, welcome to the Amplifier podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh my gosh. Uh, I was just listening to your show and I <laughs> love it. Number one, um, I think Aww. you're so mindful about the um, intention and the work that you put into your show. And um, I've already off the bat, like I need you and Caitlin to be on an episode of the show together <laughs> next time too. Um, yes, we'd love to have that. <laughs> um, so you and Caitlin host the Not Tonight Project and you are talking about a subject matter that is really, really intimate and that is sex. And, um, from the, from so many different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to chat with you about how exactly you, you both started this and and your work in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, but first and foremost, how did you connect with me online? Because I know we connected online and you have come to the Amplify Her networking group, which I like, I could literally cry just saying that out (laughs) loud because it's like so great. Um, (laughs) And you are just a lovely human, but how did you connect with me online? Oh, great question. Um, as we have built up our platform online, I've been doing my best to gather as many voices as I can. And I'm pretty sure the first way I saw you on Instagram was because of your uber popular uh, Instagram live that you did with Laura of that darn chat. Um, I love Laura and her work and everything fair play. And so I saw you come up and just your very name of amplify her. I was like, well, that's what we're doing. So I need (laughs) to learn a little more. Um, and when I saw all this verbiage about how you care so much about amplifying women's voices, um, it just, felt like a perfect match. <laughs> so yeah. I, from the moment I saw you, I knew I was like, we are going to have to connect in some way because oh. our missions are so similar. <laughs> yeah, they really are. I am. So that makes my heart beyond happy. Like <laughs> that is so cool. And just shows the power of these platforms, like, mm-hmm. and the power, like when you, I, I often feel a bit of fear putting myself out there into the world sometimes. And like, it's just so wonderful to make new connections in that way. And I know in like the first episode of your show, you and Caitlin talk about how you're literally on like separate sides of the country and you guys (laughs) have only met a couple times. And like, Mm -hmm. you decided to start this project called the not tonight project. And so Can you explain quickly what exactly that is? And then we can go back into like your history and how you, how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So the not tonight project is all about amplifying women's voices. It's just so similar to you (laughs) Um, and amplifying stories of transformation 
for women in their sexuality, in their sex lives. And our focus is in long-term relationships and marriage. Uh, We found that culture and the world really loves talking about sex. We all know that, you know, the classic term that sex sells, it's everywhere, but we don't see a lot of real conversations happening about what sex looks like in the long term. We see Mm, jokes. We see a lot of sarcasm. We see a lot of when it comes to (laughs) the bedroom in a long-term setting. And we went, it doesn't have to be that way. Like sex can get better over time. And we wanted to explore what that could look like in a conversation and just, you know, for, for lack of better term, like pull the sheets off, like let's get honest and really hear what it's like over the long term. And then also not just like what it's like, but how the journey unfolds as we learn more about ourselves and our needs, because we tend to see kind of two categories of long-term relationships, the ones that do the work to grow and the ones that don't. And I think that culture tends to look at the ones that don't grow and assume that that's the norm and that that's what you just have to accept but we are interested in diving into these stories where people have done the work and have arrived on another side with a lot of intimacy and a lot more closeness and enjoyment and connection and mm. t- kind of trying to figure out what does it take to get there? Yeah, that's, I love that. It, I mean, I have really enjoyed listening to the show mm-hmm. and I've really enjoyed the, um, honesty and openness that people are bringing into sharing so much and sharing their experiences and what a beautiful gift to be able to talk to people in this way. Um, And I know that, you know, the things that you really value um, when having these conversations, um, when it, like, I would say most likely the largest component is safety, And you've talked about that and how it's really important for, in particular, when talking to women about their sexual experiences, there Mm -hmm. is safety and um, uh, an atmosphere of safety in these conversations and knowing that you're safe. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about sex, um, women are victimized um, through sex in so many different ways and have been throughout history. And so I really appreciated that particular element being in place off the bat mm-hmm. and like that acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know you talk about how sex is connection mm-hmm. and it is so much more than just intercourse. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, I'm really curious, you know, how did you get to a place where you said, I want to get on a mic um, with this person? I do not know very much across the country (laughs) or you worked with them, but you're like, I've not met them in person um, across the country and talk about sex. Like, how did this all come about through your work and and through your actions? It's a great question because it's a long story. (laughs) So I will try to make it concise. but I grew up in an environment where sex and shame were just convoluted. And I think that's many of our stories. And 
I could not talk about it. I couldn't even talk to my mom about a boy that I thought was cute. I just, nope, nope, nope. Like all the walls were up. Um, my mom has actually said in the last couple of years, she wondered for a while if I was even interested in boys at all, because I didn't talk to her at all about my crushes or anything. I'm like, definitely was, but didn't want to talk to you. Uh, (laughs) And so I was the last person in the world that would ever talk publicly about anything intimate and vulnerable. And so I, it took many years of my marriage and many years of growing up and becoming a more whole adult version of myself to start opening up about sex. Um, the sex that I was having just the, my curiosities about it, the things that I hadn't experienced and was wondering about. And, um, my husband and I got to a place in our marriage about seven, eight years in where things just started feeling stale and, um, not bad, but just like, there was something missing. There was a gap and I couldn't figure out what it was because I felt like I was doing all the right things. And, uh, so I ended up doing, I mean, I am a lifetime learner, so I have always been reading books and diving into all sorts of resources when it comes to relationships and sex and all the things, but we just reached a point where I was like, I can't find the solution anywhere. I don't know what to do. And, um, I ended up taking an online course that really helped catapult my learning even further and got me more comfortable talking about it online because this course was a group program where I communicated with a lot of other women who are also experiencing challenges. And so we just got more brave together. And this really helped catapult my desire to talk about this more at length. Um, and I, saw how big of an issue this is just that we're all trying to figure this out on our own and it's just not working. (laughs) The big part of it is that we're trying to figure it out on our own. And so I really, yeah, like I saw the power of community and I recognize we all just need more community when it comes to the vulnerable parts of our story and our experience. And so I felt like it was just time to speak up. And yeah. I wasn't sure how I wanted to do that yet. And um, my co-host Caitlin was also part of this community that I experienced and she had a fire lit underneath her and wanted to start talking about sex in the um, form of a documentary. And so she and I were sending Vox messages across the country to each other. I don't know if you ever use Voxer, but it is like- no. Oh my gosh. It's awesome. It's like an audio walkie talkie sort of talk to text. Oh, I have heard that. Yes. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It has been our lifeline. Um, and so we were sending each other messages and she was saying how she wanted to do this documentary. And I actually have a history in film production. That's what I went to school for. And so I've always had a passion for that. And I was like, wait, you want to make a documentary about sex? Uh, Sign me up. (laughs) I am in. And so we started planning, brainstorming. And we realized that neither of us had the experience or learning yet to quite get the project off the ground in that manner. And so we decided to build an audience differently before we launched into a documentary. And thus the podcast was born. (laughs) In addition to the podcast, we are working on other ways to develop 
resources and, and learn as much as we can about the women that we hope to support and serve and, and help them see the, that they're not alone in their challenges and help them see that it is very normal to feel a sense of stagnancy or just a sense of kind of floating in an untethered way when it comes to your sexuality and not really know where to go with it. And so we want to help support women and help give them a sense of confidence and direction in wherever they want to take their sex lives. Oh, I love this so much. And I love this from the perspective of a long-term relationship or a marriage, because I do think that these are things that, you know, aren't spoken about and aren't talked about in a positive way, like you were mentioning. And so I'm curious in this space, what were the conversations that were happening? Um, Like, what were things that folks were sharing? I mean, obviously with a, a modicum of discretion, of I don't course. want to share, I mean, but, <laughs> you know, just to give folks an idea of what that would look like, because I have so many questions around that particular piece and your upbringing. So I'm curious. Mm-hmm. And you're speaking about like the community that I've experienced. Yes. What are yeah, when, you, when you went into mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So there were a lot of women experiencing just a lack of knowing what they ever wanted. Um, I think this, this could be a whole podcast unto itself, (laughs) Yes, um, but in general, a lot of us struggle to know what we want. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but it usually results in sex. We don't want, because if we don't know what we want, how are we going to have sex that we like? (laughs) So there was a lot of just okay, I know I want better sex, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of, I know I'm supposed to have sex and I'm in a long-term relationship. And I know that that's supposed to be a component of our relationship, but I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if I want it. A lot of people, I never, I would be happy never having it again. And, and there's just a lot of challenging experiences. I mean, there's plenty of women out there that they want it more than their husband. And then they feel alone and isolated and they feel like something's wrong with them because they're not supposed to be the one who wants it more. Right. We're always told that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That men are Mm -hmm. always going to want sex more than you. Yeah. That's just not a reality for lots of people. Um, And then there's couples where both parties just aren't very interested, but they feel sad because they feel disconnected and they want to enjoy that experience together, but aren't sure how to find their way back to each other. So there's just a general stagnancy that I think is almost inevitable over time because of a lot of things. I think life starts stacking up. We get very used to the other person and our relationship becomes a little less of an in-your-face priority. Yeah, And when we let that slip over time, sex is going to be a big part of that that slips. Right. And I think something that also comes into the mix is children and like having Mm -hmm. kids and like that your time, you know, your time and how that will change after you have a kid and more time you go in your relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. the more your time changes. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, because let's be real, better sex takes more time. Yes. 
It just does. (laughs) So if we have less of that, less of that with kids and life and work, it's going to be harder to pursue that good sex. Yes, absolutely. And I think that something I'm, you know, I really want to ask you is like, you mentioned you didn't talk about sex with your mom. Like there (laughs) wasn't really that, you know, conversation. I mean, I can certainly relate to that. And like, I didn't grow up in an environment where sex wasn't discussed, but I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about this with you. Like, no, thank (laughs) you. Like I'm Mm -hmm. good. And my mom was like very open about it. And like, Mm -hmm. not in a way that was inappropriate, but just like, you can come to me if you need condoms. And I was like, absolutely Mm -hmm. never. Like I'll number one, I'm like not having sex right now. Like, no, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it was like good that it was like put out there. Um, And like, there were conversations, like I learned about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you mentioned that wasn't the case in your household, but I'm curious, like, were you talking about sex with friends? Like, were you talking about sex with like your girlfriends? Mm. You know, my family, there, there was the basic talk about sex. It wasn't forbidden. But I was like you, like, no way, don't want to talk about it. So anytime anything came up, like a little comment or a little suggestive something, I was just like, ew, 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 no, 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 get me away as fast as I can. And so I recoiled and I would say that I didn't even have conversations with friends. I wasn't in a group of girls in high school that talked about boys and crushes all the time. And so Yes, that I'd have like a boy I was interested in that I'd talk to like my couple of closest friends about, but it was it, the conversations never really turned sexual. And so I felt like my sexuality was all within myself by myself. And I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Because I did feel desire, I did feel interest. I did explore my body when I was younger and it all felt shameful, wrong, like something that I could only have in this tiny little container of myself. I had nowhere to put it. And so I didn't date in high school. I actually didn't date at all until I met my husband uh, when I was 18. So my only experiences with my sexual self were with me and with my husband. Okay. Got it. And so I had finally, when I met him and felt desire for him, I finally had a a space where my sexuality made sense with another person. And yet being raised in a religious context, I felt immense amounts of shame for feeling that desire and pleasure with him before I was married. So, okay. Got it. This is all Mm -hmm. piecing together. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, I, I can relate. I mean, I didn't, you know, have, um, any, like, I really only had like one boyfriend for a month in high school and like, Mm -hmm. I really was not, you know, out there and, and, um, sexual, but I was having conversations Mm -hmm with friends about sex and like Mm -hmm. so that's why I asked because in 
my experience um, in the circles that I've been in, which I think it's so fascinating, these conversations, right? Like yes. you have yes. no idea how women are interfacing with sex mm-hmm. until you talk about it. And like, yes, you had a, a religious upbringing, it sounds like. And so there were messages that you were told around sex where you just didn't discuss it, right? Um, but you felt so deeply about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've, you know, there are people where sex wasn't discussed, but they've, they're talking about it with other people or they're engaging mm-hmm. with sexual activity and having, you know, uh, these big conversations about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's so fascinating that we like intersect in all of these different ways yeah. with sex. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you when you started, you know, um, having more of these deep feelings of sexuality Mm -hmm. and like engaging in, in sex, like, were you talking to other people about it or did that not really happen until you entered into this space after your relationship was in a long-term place? You know, I didn't talk about sex in any sort of natural conversational way until I think well into my marriage. I talked about sex in a religious context that was more textbook oriented with an outline and to-do lists and bullet points. Wow. Yes. Before marriage and and, yeah. (laughs) Can you give me examples? I, cause this is so different from my experience of, mm. of, um, I think we have like similar messaging that's mm-hmm. come our way as women, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I went to a Christian high school and we actually had a relationships class. And so I know. So we had our basic sex ed in like middle school or whatever, but then in high school, there was this relationships class, which, um, I look back on it fondly because I love what they were trying to do. But I think if I sat in on the class today, I would be horrified. (laughs) Um, Oh my God. (laughs) Um, because I know the kind of water we were swimming in, in the early two thousands coming out of religious purity culture. And I am sure there's plenty of stuff that was in that class that was really unhelpful. Yeah. Uh, but I can say that the school was trying to prepare kids for relationships. Um, even if they were not saying the most helpful things. Um, (laughs) but we talked about like what we value in ourselves and in the opposite sex. And we talked about, um, I'm sure we talked a lot about purity and a lot about saving yourself and a lot about like sexual bonding and all of that stuff. And because I was someone who followed the rules, I was like, okay, check, 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 you know, be a pure, good little girl, whatever. Um, and so it didn't bother me at the time, but again, if I sat in on on that class today, I'd probably have lots of thoughts. Um, and so we got a lot of education. Like I had that education. And then, um, I met my husband and pretty quickly we realized we wanted to get married. Um, and so because we also were in a religious context at that time, we went through a couple different forms of what is called in the Christian world as premarital counseling. 
Okay. Uh, I've heard of that. Yes. And so when we were like intensely dating and engaged, we met with a pastor who walked us through some curriculum and like gave us a couple books to read. And like, we had all all this preparation of like what marriage would be like, and then what sex could be like. And we had a lot of really wonderful mentorship during that time. I am so, so grateful for this amazing pastor and his wife who took us into their home. And we spent every week with them for like six months. Um, and yeah, that's actually like really nice to like, yeah, talk about marriage and relationships. Mm-hmm. I think the part that I find wild is how young you work. When so young doing that. Like, yes. Yeah. That so is, young. that's the part that's like kind of wild to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was 20. Wow. When okay. I got married. Yeah, actually. So I was, um, so I was 19 going through pre- premarital, all of this stuff. And my husband was 23, 24. So wow. he's a little older, but still not old. <laughs> um, And like I said, I'm a lifelong learner. I love this stuff. I I was like, yes, give me all the books, give me all the PDFs and all of the, you know, homework to do so that I can be really prepared and be the best wife ever. Um, and so I had this deep desire to do well. Um, cause I knew like I had a lot of messages around me telling me that, oh, you want to get married at 1920, you're going to fail. You're going to fail and you're going to be miserable and you're going to be trapped And so I said, no, I am not, I'm going to have a good marriage because I know like it's supposed to be this really hard thing. So I'm going to go learn all the things. So it's not so terrible. Um, and this pastor and his wife, again, like they were so kind, so like gave so much of their time. I remember actually the, the wife and I, um, she actually took me to Costco the month before we got married to buy me the big 50 pack of condoms. (laughs) before we got married. So I didn't have a Costco membership and she's like, this is where you buy condoms. And so we got condoms together. And I was like, this is wild to me. (laughs) Like it's, it's really cool that there is, there's conversations like this where people can say like, here's how to know these things, Mm -hmm. but it does feel like would that conversation happen if you weren't getting married? Like, right. Would those things happen if you weren't mm-hmm. like doing it in a way that was like, quote unquote, acceptable in this system? Right. That, right. That's the part I find really interesting. Like, I think those conversations are great no mm-hmm. matter if you're getting married or not. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. I, I know that we had to work to make this happen and we had to seek it out and go after it. and that doesn't happen if you're not going after it. Right. Right. So, According to your experience, your lived experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. So can, please continue. I find this so fascinating. You're in Costco <laughs> buying 50 packs of condoms. Like, holy <laughs> <Yes>. crap. <laughs> right? I did not expect that to be. The yes. Oh my gosh. Well, That's and I mean, this is, this is me. Who's never, ever even like seen a penis in person yet. Right. Going and buying condoms a month before I get married with my pastor's wife. Like it was, <laughs> yes, it was like the amount of like me telling myself, this is okay. This is okay. This is okay. This is okay. Over and over again. Like that's all I could do was like, no, this is fine. This is okay. This is not shameful. It's fine. Like it was so, it was such like a mental, I was starting that mental shift that happens when 
you're growing up in this religious context and preparing for marriage when you're like, okay, once I get married, it all turns on. Nothing is bad and shameful anymore. And so uh, like, buying the condoms was part of that. It was part of that process. <laughs> well, that is so fascinating because it's not shameful outside of marriage either. And what's right. uh, and the switch turns off outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so fascinating is that messaging around Mm -hmm. what's acceptable and what's not. And I don't think there's anything wrong with practicing, you know, sex, you know, after marriage or before, you know, I, I think like the principles of, of doing what you want to do with your body are the utmost of importance in all of this. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think the messaging and like the steps and the acceptable steps are things that I find really fascinating that you're like then opened up into this world and the ways that you're supposed to do it, which is what you're describing, the outline, the boxes you're checking. It's making a lot more sense now as you're describing it. Yes. (laughs) So many boxes. <laughs> yeah. Including boxes of condoms. Like right. I <laughs> so literally, literally. <laughs> so like when you're going through this, um, was, were there more things that were being discussed and like more outlines and like, like more boxes you're ticking? Like, what did that look like? So I'll tell you what wasn't discussed very well was, um, my sexual cycle and my menstrual cycle and my fertility cycle. Ah, because I, (laughs) okay. So before marriage, I was like, I only want to ever, ever have to use any sort of protection, any sort of birth control when I have to. So I was like really on this kick of wanting to do natural family planning. And so I was like, okay, we'll use condoms when we have to, and then we won't, we don't have to. Um, and I, I think I told, um, my pastor's wife, oh, I got it. Yeah. I know. I know what the cycle is. I've got it. Like got the condoms. We'll use them when we need to. And I definitely had it completely backwards and we got pregnant on our honeymoon. Wow. So that's how that happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's the, um, the lessons and the education, mm-hmm. I think that are really so, cause you, I love that you say you're a lifelong learner, um, mm-hmm. because it's so evident from your podcast and mm-hmm. it's so evident from your lived experience that you are looking for this education and <laughs> what a swift education that is around oh my. Yeah. your, your body. And, and then also I found like, you know, pregnancy and birth is so wildly different, um, Mm -hmm. than talking simply about sex education. Like it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. whole class of difference around your body and sex is very different from that piece in my mind. Like it can lead to that, but it's just Mm -hmm. so, I think that it's, they're very different worlds than that you're exposed to. Right. Right. Which, I was, yeah. I was learning how to have sex and learning how to be pregnant at the same time. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And learning how to be married. I mean, might as well throw that in there too. There was just so much intense learning and undoing of myself all at once. Yeah. All, all well, didn't even mention that we were hoping to wait five years to have kids. Wow. 
And I didn't even know if I even wanted them at all. Mm. And being pregnant and having children was terrifying to me. And yeah. so to be facing my really like my worst fear immediately after beginning this new relationship was really terrifying. Well, yeah. I mean, that is a lot to hold. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think you're just getting used to the idea of having sex for pleasure, like uh, having right. sex, like, yeah. and then you get pregnant. And <laughs> how did, I mean, I'm, this is a silly question because I know your life changed dramatically, but oh, how did your life change after you had a child and like then your, your sex life? Yeah. You know, we don't really even know what it's like to have a sex life without children is basically what it is. Yeah. We don't really have a before because our before was me being pregnant. Like there wasn't just us being free, exploring our bodies that were just ours. It just hasn't happened in our marriage in my entire life. Um, so, um, we regularly, dream about the future when our kids are no longer at home with us and we get to explore as empty nesters because that will be our honeymoon phase when we're 20 years into marriage. So it's, we're doing things in a different order than I anticipated. Um, so I would say that our sex life certainly has had ebbs and flows as we've had children. Um, but it's way better now than it's ever been. I, I'm curious, do you ever feel grief over this period of your education and like your introduction into this world? Or is it something that you've now really worked through in your life because you are, you know, now many years into your relationship? Mm. You know, I felt a lot of grief when I was in it. It was very, very hard seeing how dramatically my life was going to be changing from what I thought it was going to be. Um, And there's been moments that I've had over the years of going, man, our life would be so different if (laughs) that was not what our first year of marriage looked like. But the path that we've taken and the things that I've learned, I don't know if I would have learned them the same way if things had been different. Yeah. And I feel so much gratefulness and so much joy for all the learning that I've done. And the fact that our lives were decided for us, this is, this is how our trajectory is. We aren't going to have this season of early frolicking in marriage (laughs) before children. And we aren't going to learn how to enjoy each other alone. We're going to figure that out alongside living with a crew of small humans. (laughs) interrupt us every five seconds. (laughs) Well, it makes so much sense to me, you know, that you would now be exploring sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. later in your relationship. And I think it's actually so beautiful that, you know, many people will come to these conversations um, after having those honeymoon periods or having a drastically different experience than you, but coming into a space and in a room where they're facing the same kinds of issues or or transformations, because mm-hmm. it just shows that we're all 
sharing a lot of the same, um, I don't know, the same thoughts and feelings around a culture that is not really embracing women and sex and yeah. being free in that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I, I really find it thank like just thank you so much for sharing so much mm. about your story mm-hmm. because I think that I know there are listeners out there who can relate to how you've interacted in this way with your sexuality and then listeners who can interact who can um relate to you stepping into that group after years in your marriage mm-hmm. and wanting to discuss your sexuality mm-hmm. so now that you are you know literally turning a mic on and I'm basically having the conversation with you that you have with other people. Yes. Um, what have you discovered in these conversations around sexuality that, that have changed your perspective in a really meaningful way? Oh man, that's a great question. I think I have harder lines around safety than I ever used to. Um, whenever we step into a space of vulnerability, we require safety if we're going to show up with vulnerability and sex is inevitably vulnerable, no matter how you're having it, no matter what the context looks like, it's vulnerable. And so I think safety always mattered to me, but I didn't have the language about it. And now that I have heard from many women on our podcast and then in other conversation, I feel like that word, I can't have a conversation without that word coming up because we're all recognizing we have to have that. It is a prerequisite for true connection because true connection comes from vulnerability. And so if sex is connection, sex is vulnerable. We've got to have that safety. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I used to brush off comments or downplay things where there was an element of a lack of safety. And now I feel like my, my sensitivity meter is a lot higher, um, for myself, for other people. Um, I also, and, and in addition to the safety, I feel like I am very sensitive to needs of boundaries. And so I feel like I'm like, I have a super sense for (laughs) when a boundary needs to be, uh, enacted or created or enforced. Um, there's just a deep need for women to state their needs and not apologize for them. And I have become more firm in that for myself, but also such an advocate for women doing that for themselves as well. Gosh, that's so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think a lot about um just how important it is to have those conversations around consent and how important it is to have those conversations around you don't need you don't have to do anything you don't want to do Mm -hmm. um 
and that there's no requirement when it comes to your actions mm-hmm. um, during sex. You can step away at any point mm-hmm. because, I mean, I grew up in an environment where sex was not really discussed, like I mentioned, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was taught about it. Um, I remember my aunt told me what sex was. And I remember she said, I mean, it's so interesting because she only told me what heteronormative sex was. We didn't talk about, um, you know, uh, queer sex and and Mm -hmm. various, you know, variables around sex Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. And so, what she described to me as being sex, which I now know it's so much more, um, mm-hmm. is um, a man inserts his penis in a woman's vagina. And mm-hmm. I just remember going, ew. <laughs> yep. That was my I, reaction too. Yeah. Why <laughs> would you want to do that? <laughs> gross. Like what? And yeah. um, and also I think there was a factor where like nobody told me people move. Like nobody told <laughs> So I just thought it was like for so long, for far too long. And I was like, what? Like, so it's, I just always thought it was like gross because Mm -hmm. I just had that concept of like, I don't want somebody. And I remember my aunt going, I know. And like after I said, ew. Um, And then I was sad. I know. And like, that was the reaction. Right. And like, but I was also quite young when she was describing it. And so I think, I think it was like nine. And Mm. so I think she was like sympathizing with me, but yeah, there was definitely a moment where she could have said, actually, like sex can be really beautiful for people. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be for us, but you know, just explaining ways. And, and Mm -hmm. I was always told like, sex is so much better when you're in love and just kind of these, um, well-meaning statements but I think very like purity culture based like mm-hmm. um when you love someone it's going to be so much better when you have this it's going to be so much better and it's like sure for me actually those things have turned out to be true um but that doesn't mean that you can't find connection and great sex with people you're not in love with and mm-hmm. I think those conversations um about the complexities around sex for me came through conversations with my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And so I actually grew up in um, an environment in more like late high school going into college and then throughout my 20s where sex was discussed super openly with my Mm. friends and in great detail. (laughs) And (laughs) And I think that's actually like very from my circles, like very common, Mm -hmm. um, amongst women to Mm -hmm. talk about all of the details. And like, I've heard people joke about that before. Um, Mm -hmm. like men joke about it. And I've had men even ask me like, do you guys really talk about all of that? And like, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And as you see their faces turn green and like, um, and it's amazing to me how much women talk about sex more than men. Exactly. And I was about to ask you through your conversations, has that been surprising to you? Like how open women have been in talking to you about sex? Yeah. You know, it doesn't surprise me anymore um, because it's just like, it's just what I know now, but it's funny. The um, stereotypical, I think argument is that men are always thinking about sex and 
So if we think, oh, well, men always think about sex, that probably means they're the ones who are talking about it, but it's actually not true. Like women, women are the one who are talking about it. And I think part of it is that it's, sex is so complex for women. Um, I think there's, you know, emotionally just due to all sorts of factors, it's complex. And then you literally look at our biology and the way that we experience Mm. pleasure and we are complex pleasure beings. And so we are always going to be on a quest to figure out what brings us pleasure as our bodies change, as you know, we age all of that. And so I think we all like desperately need an outlet to talk about this. And I think that things fester when they are left alone and when we have to sit with them by ourselves. And I think sex is something that is just really unhelpful to be left by itself. Yes. I, I, agree because you know there is that vein of shame around mm-hmm. sex in particular with women mm-hmm. um we see women sexualized like you were saying sex is everywhere sex sells mm-hmm. um but then there is this particular shame around being sexual and expressing your your sexual desires and your needs mm-hmm. and i always end this show with your voice matters your story matters but what that really means is like saying what you need really matters. Yes, saying what you want really matters. And that comes mm-hmm. through speaking it. And I think with the culture that we live in around sex with it, this shame associated with it, mm-hmm. um, is it's almost assumed that when you get married, those conversations are just going to happen. And like, everything will be perfect. Like, mm-hmm as far as like what I grew up with, like, I, mm-hmm. I always heard like, Oh, marriage takes work. Like it's yes. a, it's a work in progress, but nobody like tells you what that work actually is. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's like, Oh, I guess it's just going to be hard. Okay. Yeah. And then we have bad marriages and we wonder why. Well, it's because we assume it's going to be hard. Yeah. And so From my perspective, like, I think so much of the emotional labor of marriage, like, isn't talked about, like, so much of Mm -hmm. the, like, learning how to fight, like, learning how to communicate. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was in a relationship with my partner for five years before we got married. And Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. like, there was a lot going on there. But Mm -hmm. for us, when we had a child, so much of that was flipped on its head. Mm -hmm. We had to learn how to communicate again with another human in the mix Mm -hmm. I can imagine you've had to go through a similar process in the beginning of your relationship but then with an addition of children Mm -hmm. like each time Mm -hmm. I would assume it's different um and so for you when you're exploring long-term relationships or marriages what are some of the things that have come out of these conversations that have been helpful to you and like listening Mm -hmm. to other people's transformations maybe we can do a two-part like what are the things that have come out of these conversations and then what are the things that have been helpful for you Hmm. specifically around like marriages and long-term relationships Mm -hmm. well actually kind of answer both questions great (laughs) the the biggest thing that i notice is a need for teamwork and a need to 
teamwork to me is seeing the other person as on your team. Totally. It's not just like we're both working toward the same goal. It's like, I see you as for me and they see me as for them and not like for, as in serving, as in like for, as in they, like I support and encourage and want you to succeed. Right. And so when we, I see partners that are struggling typically have a hard time seeing their partner that way. And a lot of the quest to unity is seeing each other in a really positive and affectionate light. And that leads to better sex. It just does. Because when we see the best in our partner first, we don't see them as attacking us when they are desiring us. We don't see their their advancement as a threat. We see it as like an ask. Like it it changes the the temperature of many conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um I'm curious, has there been an interview on your show that has resonated with you the most or or mm. deeply? Like have there been any stories that have been, have changed you mm. since you started? It's hard to pick one because all of them are so dear and so different. Yeah. That's um, something I find super fascinating too. After starting my yeah. show is like, it is so wild how we're told there's not enough space for our stories or like our mm -hmm. voices, but it's so abundant and so mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Please go on. Yeah. I think <clears throat> there is, it's tough because there's a couple people from our first season who are actually very close to your friends of mine. Oh, wow. And so their episodes, I would say are the closest to my heart because their personal stories that I know a lot more surrounding what they actually shared on the podcast. And so because of that, I'd say that those are probably the closest to my heart. Um, I'm not going to specifically call them out because our, our interviews are kind of semi-anonymous. Yeah, of course. Um, but those, there are a couple that like, you know, it, it just, it warms my heart deeply to just reflect on the fact that they even were brave enough to share those stories publicly. And, um, I just know the things they've been through and it just, you know, when we know someone else's story so intimately, it gives us such great compassion and ability to connect the dots of their story to our own and see the things that are similar and different and helps us to all like live in a more tender, compassionate world with one another. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think what was so great about your first episode was you and Caitlin describing how different you are and mm -hmm. how those differences are going to bring a lot of beauty into the conversations. I mean, mm -hmm. even during this conversation, you and I obviously had very different upbringings in, in various ways um, and different 
relationships around sex and Mm -hmm. children. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really beautiful Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about it because something that, you know, really was the catalyst for me starting the show was I didn't know how women were doing the things that they were doing and like Mm -hmm. making all this money and like being successful and I was like, well, I'm going to ask them, you know, like, yeah. I'm just going to sit down and have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what really strikes me um, about you being a lifetime learner and like the conversations that you had around sex um, as you were going into your marriage and your partnership is that, um, you know, you're not going to know until you have those conversations is that you you were short, you were, um, exposing yourself to various avenues, like one conversation at a time, like one experience at a time, which is like, obviously how life works, but it's fascinating to now see that you are literally hosting a show about talking about sex. (laughs) And so one of my biggest questions is like, how has your family reacted? Like, how <laughs> is your husband react? Like, how does your community react to you? Just like, I mean, you talk about all sorts, we've talked about like, honestly, I feel like pretty team things on this show, but like on your show, like you do talk about really intimate stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm that friend that talks about <laughs> sex. Like I'm the sex friend, like, like that is me. Um, like just this morning I had someone text me who was like, are you ready for some TMI sex conversation over text? And I'm like, always, always ready. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> She's like, I knew you'd appreciate this. I don't know who else would. I'm like, I will always appreciate wins in the bedroom, like, or struggles yes. or whatever it is. So, um, I love getting to be that person. And it's funny. Like I went to a a party recently with a bunch of people I didn't know. And these women are coming up to me like, you're the sex podcast. I'm like, that is me. That <laughs> you're is like, me. Give me a satch. Yep. Like. Yep. I'll just wear that crown all day, every day. Um, so it's, it's hilarious. It, it's great because as a lifelong learner, I'm someone who loves deep conversation and always wants to go really deep, really fast with complete strangers. And so this has been the perfect way to open up deep conversations all the time with people. I cannot escape a conversation without it getting deep. And it's my favorite. I love it so much because, you know, it only takes us like five minutes of meeting someone new to start talking about attachment theory and like your relationship with your parents and, you know, habits between you and your husband. Like it just, it happens fast. And I, I love it. And on the family front, um, my husband is my biggest cheerleader. I adore him so much. Um, he all, but gets on Instagram with me. I'm sure that'll happen someday. Um, <laughs> but he has so much wisdom to give too. He's the one who got me to sign up for Twitter. It's like, you need to be on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Cracks me up. That's um, incredible. Yes. And then my mom has listened to every episode. Wow. And- and, um, yeah, we have conversations about, you know, the things she's thinking about when it comes to different episodes. And, um, we obviously have a much more open relationship now talking about sex and all the things. And, um, there's just been a lot of healing there, which has been really, really amazing. So, yeah. And I'm curious how your relationship with your body is now mm. like, and how your, yeah. Just how is your relationship with your body after all this time? 
Okay. So a couple things. Um, first of all, I am in a very minority camp when I say that I felt so much more myself and more feminine and more grown up and me after having kids. Mm. I am very tall and very slender and I felt like a stick bug my whole life. And when I started having kids, I was like, Hey, I have hips now. Like, <laughs> the tiniest <laughs> bit of hip, it exists. And, um, I, I felt so much more comfortable in my body actually after going through that process. Um, and so yeah. that's actually been a great gift, uh, to me, but I also say I am definitely in the minority. I know, um, when I say that. And, uh, so that's actually been a cool journey is kind of watching my body grow and change over time. Um, and then also in connection to the sexual, more sexual parts of my body, I felt so much shame around my desire and so much shame around my own self-exploration that as I have become sexual with my husband, and as I've grown in my sexuality over time, my relationship with that more sexual part of my body has gotten more and more comfortable and the shame has fallen off more and more over time. And I've become, I've really grown a lot in my relationship with my desire. And I have explored and experimented more with my own self-exploration and self-pleasure over time in a way that's really healed a lot of the shame that I felt growing up around that. I mean, that's just so beautiful. Did you feel like you ignored your body for quite some time in that way? Absolutely. Yes. And when you say in that way, do you mean self-touch specifically? Yeah. Like self-touch, self-exploration. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just being desirable in front of others, like, mm-hmm. Was that something you ignored? Yeah, as much as I could, basically. Because um, when I was young, I I had this insatiable desire to explore my desire. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's I, super natural. Yeah. Right. But it didn't feel natural at the time. I mean, it, it was. It was natural. But it felt wrong. It felt bad. Right. It felt it felt backwards. I wasn't supposed to have insatiable desire. I'm female and I don't even have any sort of boyfriend where I would like experience desire there that, you know, and right. like um, it's always connected to a man. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And this wasn't, um, I didn't even have any experience with pornography. It wasn't, it wasn't even related to anything like that. So being able to express my sexuality with my husband, I was like, great. Now I'm not going to have this insatiable desire by myself. And so I was able to kind of replace it with him. And it took 10 years into our marriage before I finally started taking a look at those beliefs that I had held and going, Hey, like self-touch isn't bad in marriage, outside of marriage. It's not a bad thing on its own. No, And so I started like, and I actually looked, looked back and went, you know what? I think those experiences actually really prepared my body for having sex and actually really served me well when my religious like upbringing made me believe that what I was doing was actually going to ruin my marriage. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I was able to look back and really think fondly of those experiences and then turn over a whole new leaf. And it was actually really important to me to reintroduce self-touch in my, in my life so that I could, in a sense, redeem those shamey feelings that I had experienced for so long. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, would you, do you think you would describe the experiences you've had around like sexing your body and, and like all of this as a form of like religious trauma? Like, I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure. Like I've heard that term before, but like, I, I know that this is not unique in Mm -hmm. these spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, do you feel like you're, you've, you're healing or like you have been healing for quite some time uh, around those messaging uh, messages and like, would you describe it that way or, or a different way? You know, I've heard the phrase religious trauma many times, and I think everyone has a different experience with that phrase. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm trying to define it and understand it myself. And I think it's hard for me to categorize my experiences as religious trauma um, because I wouldn't, because I still am part of that religious context. Interesting. Okay. So I have not separated myself from religion completely. I've just worked through it, worked in it, gotten into the muck and sorted out what makes sense and what doesn't for me. And so to me, when I hear the phrase religious, religious trauma, I typically hear it from people who have exited their faith and do not want to look back. And so, because I don't fit into that category, I don't tend to use that terminology, but I would say that I absolutely experienced religious conditioning. Interesting. Yeah. And so I think trauma is in the eyes of the beholder in a lot of ways Mm. because it's how we receive what is experienced in our lives. And so it's not something we can necessarily judge in anybody, but, and, and because of that, I wouldn't say that I feel the weight of religious trauma, but I will say that the experiences Mm -hmm. I had and the messages I received were often wildly unhelpful and definitely took undoing for me to make sense of. That makes a lot of sense to me. So my last question for you is when you're looking back at little Rachel and this, this young woman who had all of these desires in her body and getting to know herself, what would you want her to know? I definitely would want her to know that her desire is good and it's normal. Maybe I'd focus more on the neutral wording of normal before Mm -hmm. I ever got to good, because I think I needed to move from this view of it being bad to at least seeing it as a neutral thing before I could ever see it as positive. Um, So letting her know that desire is normal, letting her know that her body is doing exactly what normal bodies do. And having sexual feelings is 
actually going to serve her really well in the future. It's not a curse. Yeah. It's actually, it actually can be seen as a blessing, even though right now it feels like it doesn't belong. Cause I think that's part of it. It just didn't feel like it belonged in that season of my life, but it totally did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it totally did. And you were thrust into a very, you know, sexual season and then a season mm -hmm. of a lot of responsibility that came from having sex, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I think that that uh, message of this is like normal and mm -hmm. it's not bad mm -hmm. is so important and so needed mm -hmm. for many, many women and mm -hmm. young men. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I look at my young boy and I'm like, oh, well, we're going to have a lot of discussions that you'll yes. probably hate, but <laughs> they're so needed. And um, I'm just so grateful that you took the time today to come on and be on the show. And I am so grateful for the work that you're doing and, and the conversations that you're having, because they really are life-changing. And specifically within this particular context, I think there's a lot of discomfort um, when talking about sex after marriage and like mm -hmm. even those open sexual conversations that I had with my friends aren't always the case now after mm -hmm. many of us are married. And so I feel like that is, um, that's super important to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful that you're, you're, uh, in a space where you're doing this because I think you were totally meant to. And thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to see what comes down the line for you. So thank you for taking the time to be here and, and um, talk about all of this today. Absolutely. Thank you for amplifying my voice today. Really appreciate it. <laughs> of course. And never forget that your voice matters and your story matters. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Amplify Her podcast. Bye everyone. I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.